You might not have it on your uh, iCal, but this month is actually the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. So, happy anniversary, Protestant Reformation. It's Halloween. Uh, and I bring this up because, of course, one of the rallying cries of the Reformation was sola scriptura. Scripture alone is our guide. And as people of the book, we are people who should be passionately in love with God's Word. Now, studies have shown that evangelical Christians in America love God's Word, but we don't necessarily particularly read God's Word all that often outside of church. We want to encourage everyone here at Lakeridge to become people who are in the Word, in the Word every day. There is nothing uh, more impactful or transformative. Uh, we were at the Building Up Pillar meeting about a week and a half ago talking about, well, how do we, how do we get get people excited about reading the Bible? How do we introduce them to our new reading plans that will be that you might have gotten uh, when you came in or else they're on the table in the back that have uh, various reading plans? We'll talk about those in a bit. As we're having the conversation, David Aparicio, who has been with our church about two years? One year? Okay. Well, it seems like you're impacted in more than one year's worth. Uh, all along in the course of the conversation, he's just talking about the way uh, he was impacted when he read the Bible, like, well, would you share that with the whole congregation? So I want to invite David. He uh, teaches our men's Bible study every other Saturday morning uh, in his home. Uh, he's taught Sunday school and various other things around the church. So just give him a few minutes here to give, give him your attention. Well, good morning, church. How's everyone doing? Good. And hello, choir. I'm going to have to get used to talking to total directions. All right. Uh, so as Brian said, uh, I, I did read the the whole Bible, but I want to kind of give you a little bit of a story of how it went about. I was raised in a uh, Christian home, strong Christian parents. Basically, uh, shortly after being born, I was in church, and I've been in church my entire life. I uh, was baptized in the Baptist church, went to the largest uh, Baptist university in the world. Um, and despite all that, despite all that time, I never actually read the entire Bible. Um, it wasn't... Uh, until I was in my 30s that I finally like knuckled down and start and decided I was like I need to read and find out more about the nature of God. Uh, I've done a lot of uh, I guess somewhat accomplished or disciplined things. I've trained for marathons. I've learned how to land uh, airplanes, but I'd never actually read the Bible. I was mainly relying uh, to a certain extent on on the view of. Of, of God that was presented in church alone. Similar to, I would say, going to the theater and watching that two-minute video and saying, that yeah, that, I've watched whatever movie uh, that's associated. Or how many of you would go in and buy a house just based on, on the picture and never actually go in and walk around? That was basically how I had been walking my Christian life without actually going forth and reading the Bible. Um, so don't do what I did, which is wait forever to actually go forth and do. I went ahead and, and, and did it and, it, and I did it very slowly. It took me two years to do, but I finally did read it in, in my 30s. And it's been an immense blessing to me because I finally feel like I can understand um, the bigger picture of, of, of who God is, His promises, His story for, for redemption, and tying it all together. It's kind of like taking all the bits and pieces we learn in church and finally like it, it, it all connects and makes sense. You get a much richer experience out of it by doing that. But you don't have to be fast about it, but you do have to kind of put a little bit of, of uh, time aside. 
Um, the Pilgrim implementation team has put together a reading plan, and I'd highly encourage you to just try and pick your speed that you want to go about it. You can go, you can go very uh, aggressively, and with the Bible in your ear, you can go a little bit slower, like my style, how I, and it took me much longer. But definitely do it. It'll be a, it will bless you just like it blessed me. And certainly don't feel bad if you, if, if you haven't done it. It's never too late to, to go ahead and, and experience that, that side of uh, with God with, through reading. Thank you. Thank you, David. Well, a few months ago, I introduced you to someone who's completely different from David. Bingo, our dog. He has learned a lot in four months. He's crate trained, he's house trained, he's learned some commands. And by careful observation, he has figured out that the magic of the doorknob consists in turning it. So even though he doesn't have an opposable thumb, he is actively trying to figure out how to use his mouth to turn the doorknob so he can let himself out for walks. I'm not entirely opposed to this. and would prefer he comes back, but it's interesting to watch him try. But despite all of this obvious intelligence, I also have to say, Bingo is a complete idiot. Because whatever his heart desires, he pops into his mouth. He'll snap up random berries, bugs, nuts, and sticks, like a vacuum cleaner. Whatever he sees, his little heart desires. Moderately poisonous lilies? Oh, yeah. Highly toxic mushrooms? Absolutely. You never know what you're going to see hanging out of that dog's mouth, and then you're like, oh, trying to pry it out of it. Early one morning, I was finishing up my prayer time, and Melanie came back from walking him, and she's shouting, come quick, Bingo's got something in his mouth, and I need help getting it out, because every time I get it out, he snaps it back up again. So I run to the garage, it's about 5.45 in the morning, so this is way more active than I like to be at that time of day, but, but there they are, she, she opens up his mouth, she, she pops it out, and it turns out that this prize thing that he is fighting to hold on to is a toad. So I scoop up the toad in a bag, she had told me to get a bag, so I get a bag, so I scoop up the toad, and then it starts moving in my hands, and I am totally freaked out. Because he had been fighting to keep a live toad in his mouth. Now, the interesting thing is after I released the toad in the front yard, it hopped off seemingly none the worse for the wear, is he spent the next several minutes with what I call the toad-licking face. Now, the toad-licking face is where he is slurping his tongue around, looking incredibly sour and, and very miserable, and it seems like he's kind of feeling a little bit weird about the whole experience. But you know what? Despite realizing that he doesn't like the flavor of toad, that dog still wanted to go after toads. Later that week, two more times, he tried to go after toads. So despite experiencing all the awfulness of licking toads, it does not change the fact that his heart desperately desired to get more toads. And as stupid as this story sounds, I would confess that in many ways, we're not all that different from Bingo. Because there are things in our life that we see and that we desire, and, and then once we try them, we're, we're left wearing a toad-licking face because we realize this was a bad thing to do, and, and it hurt or it hurt somebody else. It tastes terrible. And yet how often after experiencing those consequences, either in our lives or the lives of someone else, do we still act like bingo and our heart is still desiring after this thing? 
We still want to see something we shouldn't or say something we shouldn't or do something we shouldn't. Well, this is really at the core of Jesus' sixth beatitude, which is Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And the sixth beatitude is one that is deeply unpopular in our postmodern 21st century American culture because it says that purity of heart requires self-discipline. That means not doing whatever it is we feel like, even if it feels good, if it happens to be a bad thing to do. It means declaring that there are actually such a thing as purity of heart, and it means admitting that there is such a thing as things that undermine our purity of heart. This beatitude is also unpopular because it says that a desire for a pure heart is actually an essential indicator of the saving faith that enables us to see God. But when Jesus speaks of being pure in heart, the Greek word that he's using here is katharos, which describes cleanness in contrast to dirtiness. So to be pure in heart is to be clean in heart, to have a clean heart. And he is obviously not just talking about getting your arteries cleaned out. He is speaking of moral cleanness and spiritual purity. To be pure in heart is to have a singular focus on maintaining that cleanness in our heart, in our lives. This beatitude is very challenging for us because it's not simply about what we do. Right? We can be really good about doing things, but this beatitude is about why we do those things. Because purity of heart isn't just about how holy or religious we appear to the rest of the world. It's not about how many good deeds we do or how much money we give or how many ways we help the poor or how often we come to church or how often we go to Bible study. This beatitude is about what's going on in our heart when we do those things. You see, this beatitude doesn't permit doing the right things for the wrong reasons. It demands that we do the right things for the right reasons. It demands that our motives and our thought life and and the things we do in private when no one else is able to see us need to sync up with our public appearances and our displays of holiness. Jesus here is really calling for authenticity in our faith. And the blessing comes from having such an authentic faith. They shall see God. And seeing God describes a state of of blissful fellowship with the sovereign and holy creator of the universe, both now and for all eternity. To see God is to have fellowship with him through prayer to the experience of His presence in our lives, and that is to literally see Him for eternity. And the more I read the Bible and the more I think about the incredible attributes of God, David talked about getting that whole picture of God, that whole greater understanding of His plan and His goodness. The more we think about these things, His holiness, perfection, righteousness, justice, love, grace, mercy, faithfulness, patience, knowledge, wisdom, kindness, and and so much more, the more I am convinced that there can be nothing more desirable than to fellowship with the one who loves us more than we are even capable of loving ourselves. But Jesus is clear. This is a blessing for those with a pure heart, 
Now, I don't know about you, but given the wild and, and sometimes unholy desires of my heart, the question is, how can our hearts ever be so pure? Well, first, we are explicitly called to strive for purity of heart. It is very easy for us as evangelical Christians to dismiss the need to strive for purity of heart because we can say that we are truly confident in our salvation by faith alone, which means we'll see God. And this is a true statement. We're going to explore this more later in this message. But sometimes when we say that, we're really using it to kind of trivialize or dismiss the repeated emphasis throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New, that as followers of Jesus Christ, we must strive for purity of heart. Simply put, purity matters. Now, why is that? Why does it matter whether our hearts are pure if we are people saved by faith in Christ alone? Well, I'm going to let Jesus do the talking here. In Matthew 15, verses 18 through 20, Jesus says, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds directly from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. And I think this is a really important insight for us to have as we struggle on a daily basis to live like Jesus. Right? Because if we're faithful Christians, I think most people here, you probably all want to live like Jesus, but you struggle. And what Jesus is saying is a lot of that struggle when we look at our lives, right? When I look at my life and I see, you know, awful behaviors or wrong decisions or, or wrong thoughts, what Jesus is saying is I need to realize that these are coming from what is going on inside my heart. There is no way around it, right? What is coming out of me my actions and my words are flowing from what is in my heart, and I need a realistic understanding of that. How we handle difficult situations, how we treat other people, and what we do when nobody else is looking all reflect the purity of our heart. Now, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have been given new hearts. We have been given a new nature. But our old nature and our old heart also remains. This is what the Apostle Paul called the old man. And it turns out that most of our relational problems and most of our difficulties finding joy and contentment stem from the residual sin in our hearts. So striving for purity diminishes the influence of that old sin nature, that old man, and increases the influence of our new nature in Christ. Purity matters. 1 John 3.3 3 lays it out plainly. And everyone who thus hopes in him, right? Everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ, everyone who believes in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, purifies himself as he is pure. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the call is to purify yourself because Jesus, your Savior, is pure. As present-day citizens of God's kingdom, right? We've been talking about that throughout this series, that we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven right here, right now. As citizens of the kingdom, we must each desire desperately to be pure because God's kingdom is pure. So how's your heart this morning? 
Is it as pure as the driven snow? Or like me, is it swirling at some level? Maybe it's a puddle, maybe it's a lake with some filth, with some pollution, with some impurity, jealousies and grudges, lusts and ambitions, greed and anger, pride and selfishness. I would urge you to examine your heart closely and then examine your life closely. Because just as Jesus said, your thoughts, your actions, and your inactions reveal your real heart condition. And if you're like me and your examination reveals some darkness and sin where there should only be light and purity, the question becomes, how do we strive for purity in our hearts? Well, just like any other mess... There are two aspects to cleaning up the mess. First, stop making it bigger. Second, clean it up, make it smaller. And both of those are pertinent, and Scripture speaks to both. So if you are genuinely desiring purity of heart, first you need to control what's going into your heart. That's the part where you stop making the mess bigger. Instead, we are called to fill our hearts with better things. Philippians 4, 8 and 9 say, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Our ability to see God and to fellowship with God is directly affected by what we are permitting into our hearts. We need to be filling our hearts with the things of God. So so if we truly desire purity of heart, we need to examine everything we read, listen to, watch, play, click on, and we might need to cut some things off, even things we enjoy. Now, this is not a popular message in today's day and age. But it's a simple reality. What we let into our eyes, what we let into our ears, will pass into our minds and hearts. And then just like Jesus said, it's going to come right back out eventually. You can hide it for a while, put on a good game face, but eventually, in the crisis, in the storm, in the bad time, it's going to come out. So the message of the music you listen to matters. One of the reasons I... Actually, years ago, switched to primarily listening to Christian music in the car was I could see an immediate correlation between my ability to handle traffic and not handle traffic based on what I was listening to. It was, it's like flipping a switch. And actually, the switch almost flipped back within a day or two if I tried to do anything else. Watching Game of Thrones matters. Watching endless amounts of vitriolic 24-hour news and opinion, whether it's biased to the left or biased to the right, matters. The friends you choose and their words and their actions matter. And I'm not saying everyone here has to automatically cut off all these things, but I'm saying that you need to carefully examine what you're letting into your heart, what you're letting into your mind, And if it doesn't glorify God, then you you need to carefully and honestly consider whether it is affecting the nature of your heart, your thoughts, your attitudes, your words, and your behaviors. 
And if you genuinely desire purity of heart, as every Christ follower should, you need to be willing to cut some things out of your life if that's what it takes. There's plenty of other scripture on that point, but we won't go into that today. doesn't matter how much we like them. For Melanie and I, there have been some TV shows that we have enjoyed, that were well-written, that were very carefully thought through, that were, I won't necessarily say fun to watch, but they were compelling to watch, but we cut them off because they were simply too dark. They were leading our, our hearts and minds into places they didn't need to go. And we're to be replacing those things, as Paul says, with the things of God, the things that are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and praiseworthy. So if that stops the, the flow of impurity into our hearts, the question is, is, what do we do to clean up the filth that's already there, right? If you've lived enough life, I've lived enough life, I've taken in enough filth into my heart, there are plenty of things that I can't unsee, unhear, or unlearn, though I wish I could. So what do you do if you're like me and your heart is already defiled? There are a number of things laid out in Scripture, but I want to just focus on one thing today. The one thing that I believe to be the most important part for purifying your heart, because it addresses really the most important way, the most common way, the primary way that the Holy Spirit speaks into our life. And that is to read the Bible every day you possibly can. Don Whitney is a professor at Southern Seminary. He's written extensively on spiritual formation and growth. And he writes, There is simply no healthy Christian life apart from a diet of the milk and meat of Scripture. Right? Catch that? No healthy Christian life apart from continuous exposure to Scripture. He continues, The reasons for this are obvious. In the Bible, God tells us about Himself, and especially about Jesus Christ, the incarnation of God. The Bible unfolds the law of God to us and shows us how we've all broken it. There we learn how Christ died as a sinless substitute for breakers of God's law, that we must repent and believe in Him to be right with God. In the Bible, we learn the ways and the will of God. We find in Scripture how God wants us to live and what brings the most joy and satisfaction in life. None of this eternally essential information can be found anywhere else except the Bible. Therefore, if we would know God and be godly, we must know the Word of God intimately. We cannot know the Word of God intimately from two-minute trailers, like David said. We cannot know the Word of God intimately from just coming to church on Sunday mornings, or even Sunday morning church and then a Bible study during the week. We must be in the Word on our own. So you heard David's testimony, and for myself, I certainly agree with it. In my experience, there is nothing that has more transformed my life and my behaviors and my attitudes and my heart than continuous daily exposure to God's Word for the last 24 years. When I have wandered away from the daily reading, my heart immediately begins wandering away as well. When I am in the daily reading, my heart is being transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit. The more we read it, the more it purifies and protects our hearts. Psalm 119, 9 through 11 proclaims, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart 
that I might not sin against you. And so it's for this reason, as part of LRBC's vision for building up the people of God, we are pleased to offer these three Bible reading plans. Again, it's the brochure here. If you got in without getting one, please don't leave without getting one. We hope to have this out electronically fairly soon, but for now you've got a month's worth, and we will have a print edition every month, so you don't have to rely on an electronic version ever. And what you're going to find is three plans, right? An easy plan, which is about one chapter a day. A moderate plan, which is about two chapters a day. And then the read the Bible in a year plan, which is about three to four chapters each day. Now, if you're already on a daily reading plan, you don't need to like abandon it just to pick this one up. But if you're not, and a lot of people are not, if you have trouble consistently reading God's Word, then I want to encourage you to choose one of these three plans to dig into God's Word every day to, to help you keep on track with it and to be systematic about it so that you're, you're not just sort of jumping around randomly, but you are, you're eventually experiencing the whole counsel of God. I want you to choose, I want to encourage you to choose one of these plans and start today, right? Note it starts on the first of the month. So start today. I know it's super busy, right? It's almost lunchtime. That's going to take a while. It's football in America. That's important. But it doesn't take all that long to do this reading either. You can knock it out after lunch. You can knock it out before your nap. You can knock it out after your nap. You can do it during halftime as long as you're not napping during halftime. There is time to read God's Word today. To help you even more, I would encourage you to find a friend, someone else in the church who's, who's chosen the same plan as you, and then just agree to check in with each other a couple times a week. It'll help encourage you to stay on track. So this morning I started the Bible in a year plan, so feel free to check in on me anytime you want. And if you happen to choose that one, corner me up and we can talk about what we read that day. But I also have to be clear, right? As vital and transformational as daily Bible reading is, and it is, no matter how hard we try, we are still going to fail sometimes. There will always be some residual sin in our hearts this side of heaven. Eventually, it will spill out into our behaviors and our attitudes and our thoughts. And this is an interesting thing. This is an interesting challenge. One of the common challenges in Christianity is we are frequently challenged to do something that is important, that we need to do, and yet it is impossible to achieve ourselves. And this is one of those cases. So, so when we do fall down, when we do fall short, what hope do we have of receiving the blessing from this beatitude? What hope do we have of seeing God since there's always going to be some impurity left in our heart? And to answer that, I have good news. Our hearts are purified by the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, just as with all each of the other Beatitudes, Jesus Christ is the perfect embodiment of that virtue or quality. He was perfectly pure in heart. He never sinned, not even once, though he was tempted in every way. He lived the perfect life that we simply cannot. He is the only one who truly met the criteria to be able to see God. He's the only one pure and hard enough to see the perfect and holy God of the universe. And yet, he chose to sacrifice his own life for us on a Roman cross. 
He chose to pay the penalty for each of our sins, yours and mine, with his own blood. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, fully God and yet fully human, was the perfect, infinite, one-time sacrifice for the guilt of everyone who trusts in him as Lord and Savior. So though we sin and fall short of his standard and the glory of God on a regular basis, his sacrifice, which we'll be remembering this morning when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, purifies our hearts if we trust in him. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22 explains how this works. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Our hearts have been sprinkled clean. This language of sprinkling clean and being washed with water is Old Testament language describing the way that the unclean things and the unclean people of Israel were cleansed through the sprinkling of blood from a living sacrifice, from a living animal, an innocent animal that died as a sacrifice, as a substitution. Our hearts are cleansed, purified, made acceptable to God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And all we need to receive that purity, to be able to see God, is to believe that Jesus died for our sins and rose again to new life, that he is the eternal Son of God. 1 John 1, 7 proclaims, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And here's what I really want you to focus in on. The blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, I know that most of you believe that. You've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior at some point in the past. You've received eternal life. But, but do you truly accept and believe in your heart that you are now clean? That every sin is washed away? See, many Christians walk around with a burden of guilt because we're so acutely aware of the standard of God and His perfection, and we're so acutely aware of our shortcomings and, and failures. So we, we remember all the ways we've messed up. The things that we said that we shouldn't have said, the people we hurt that we shouldn't, shouldn't have done that thing, the, the things we've done to hurt ourselves. But here again, John's words, the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you are clean. Have you truly accepted this truth? Embraced this cleansing? Jesus died to buy you freedom and forgiveness from every single sin in your past, present, and future. So embrace that. Accept His cleansing and walk in the newness of life in Christ. And thus we come at last to the promise of this beatitude. They shall see God. If Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you are clean. You are pure in heart. If Jesus Christ 
is your Lord and Savior, you are being transformed. You are striving to become ever more like Him, ever more clean and pure in heart. And if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you will see God. You will see God right now if you choose to through fellowship with Him in prayer. Anytime we want, we can enter into the throne room of God. This is the blissful fellowship that is available right now, every day, to every single citizen of God's kingdom. But then after a lifetime of fellowship with the Lord, however long that may be or short that may be, as those whose hearts have been purified by the blood of Jesus Christ, we will rejoice for eternity in God's presence. Revelation chapter 22, verses 3 through 5 says that we will not only see God with our eyes, but we will reign with Him in eternity. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. That's the future that Jesus has promised to each and every one of us who trusts in Him. If you are in Christ, you will see God every day for the rest of eternity. Let's pray. Father God, we praise You for this great good news. That what we cannot achieve on our own, the purity we cannot achieve through any endless amount of hard work or personal effort or self-discipline, you gave to us through the sacrifice of your Son. That we are indeed sprinkled clean by his blood. Lord, let this never minimize in us the desire to become more like your Son, who was perfectly pure in heart. Let us never cease to strive to be pure in heart. Let us never cease to enjoy your word and take it in daily that your spirit would speak to us through it and transform us. Let us be a people transformed that we may do your work for your glory in our own neighborhoods and community. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In just a few moments, we'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper. We'll gather around the Lord's table and remember this sacrifice that has sprinkled our hearts clean. But before we do, we're going to have a time to worship through song and a time to respond to whatever God has laid on your heart this morning. And so I would encourage you to use this time to examine your heart. Is there impurity there that you need to confess to God? If so, Scripture tells us when we confess it, He is faithful to forgive. Use this time to begin that search, that dialogue with God about the impurities that need to be driven out of our own hearts. We pray for your seats. We Certainly encourage you to come up front and pray, and if you would like Pastor Neil or I to pray with you or pray for you, we will be standing up front as well. Let us worship.